Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Kuehl Podcast. I am your host tonight, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl, here for another special episode of TKP. Before we get going, make sure you use the hashtag the Kuehl Podcast to join in on the conversation and tweet us at the Kuehl Podcast to talk about today's episode, which is a little bit of a mixed bag of tricks. Obviously, this was initially going to be the J. Ross Robertson Cup, President's Cup, and Ed Shinoeth Cup preview shows, obviously, for the QMJHL, WHL, and OHL, but obviously a little bit of news came out today, so we'll definitely dive into that. I will tell you all right now that Game 4 of Columbus and Boston is going on in the background right now. The sound's off, of course, but don't worry. I'm not going to have my massive outburst like I did last time with when Riley Smith hit, um, when he, or no, excuse me, Riley Smith got hit by Charlie McAvoy, excuse me. Yeah, uh, I'll try to keep it PG for this one for all you folks at home here. But yes, we have a lot of news. We will get to the CHL stuff later on the show. However, we have to talk about the big news this morning here on May the 2nd. As over 200 women's hockey players announced that they're going to boycott the 2019-2020 season. Of course, this is right after yesterday, the official day that the CWHL ceased operations. And obviously that is a real Big, that was a big deal, and we talked about it before on the show, and we talked about you know, what this means for the game in the future, and of course, that was right before the World Championships, and then the World Championships happened, so obviously, there was a lot going on with that, but then today, it was announced by multiple sources, of course, but a lot of players going up on Twitter saying, they were all pretty much saying the same thing. The quote that all the players used before they had put the statement made by the players as a whole. The tweets all read, we may represent different teams, leagues, and countries, but collectively we stand as one. I'll just give a quick run through on what the statement was. We are fortunate to be, excuse me, quote, we are fortunate to be ambassadors of this game that we revered so deeply, and yet more than ever we understand the responsibility that comes with the ambassadorship to leave this game in better shape than when we entered it. That is why we come together, over 200 players strong, to say that it's time to create a sustainable professional league for women's hockey. While we have all accomplished so much, there is no greater accomplishment than what we have the potential to do right here and right now, not just for this generation of players, but for generations to come. With that purpose, we are coming together, not as individual players, but as one collective voice to help navigate the future and protect the players' needs. We cannot make a sustainable living playing in the current rate or current state, excuse me, of the professional game. Having no health insurance and making as low as $2,000 a season means players can't adequately train and prepare to play at the highest level. Because of that, together as players, we will not play in any professional leagues in North America this season until we get the resources that professional hockey demands and deserves. We may have represented different teams, leagues, and countries, but this sport is one family. And the time is now for this family to unite. This is the moment we've been waiting for, our moment to come together and say we deserve more. It's time for a long-term viable professional league that will showcase the greatest product of Women's Professional Hockey League in the world. End quote. This is a huge statement and a huge moment here for the women's game. We talked about it and we said... It's going to take, Alex and I, we talked about this on the show, it's going to take both sides to collectively come together. And when we said that, we didn't necessarily talk about the players. We met more or less the brass from the CW, the former CWHL 
and the current brass of the NWHL to get everything together with help of the National Hockey League. I will be 100% honest with you. I did not hear any rumblings about this. There's a lot of people that were stunned by this. I was stunned by this. However, it is what the game needs. It is such a big deal that this is happening, the hashtag for the game coming out right now, that even Billie Jean King, the legendary women's tennis player and women's sporting activist, women's rights activist as well, coming out and giving her piece on Twitter as well, saying female athletes deserve to live the life they envisioned as kids, playing the sport they love, and making a living doing it. I stand with all female athletes in their pursuit of equal pay and a sustainable future, hashtag for the game. So this is clearly showing that this is not just in hockey. This is not just coming, putting waves across the game of women's hockey. This is going across all waves of sports. And there's a lot of talk right now that the players are working with uh, Ballard Spar, who is, which is the same firm that was involved in the women, U.S. Women's National Boycott in 2017. So obviously having the experience there is going to help the players here. And let's just, I'll make this very clear. This is not just 200 players across the CWHL. This is over 200 players across all leagues, even players that haven't even played a single game in the NWHL or the CWHL. College players, players that were drafted in the first round, first overall picks. I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of some of the bigger names. Um, we got Alex Rigsby, who played in Calgary for the CWHL. Amanda Castle played for the Metro Riveteers. Brianna Decker played for Calgary. Um, Kaylee Hutchinson, who's coming from college as well. I'm just going through a couple here, kind of scrolling on through. Hillary Knight, of course, from Lake Canadian. You got Marie-Philippe Poulin. I mean, the legendary Canadian player as well. That's another huge name that's coming out and saying that they're not going to play. You have Lauren Stacy, who played for Markham. She played a big role for the Thunder. I mean, the list just goes on and on of players. And this is just an initial list that was tweeted out by Kyle Cushman earlier today. And that this was just when it was just 150 players. Not as much as it was, not as much as it is now. It is a huge, huge statement here by the league. And this really puts the ball in the court of the NWHL, and not just the NWHL brass, but the old, the old CWHL brass. They're going to have to get together, and this is where the National Hockey League needs to step up. The National Hockey League has to step in here and do something because, listen, the great like everyone talks about how great it was at the All-Star Weekend when Kendall Coyne came out and went fast skater, and Brandon Decker defeated Tobias Enstrom in the passing skills comp but didn't get her pay, and then CCM backing up all the players I mean, this is huge for everyone involved. And now the fact that now the league, the NWHL, who thought they just had the best, most successful season, and the CWHL as well, having their most successful season, arguably, now without possibly any women's hockey. Things do need to change. There is no question about it. The league needs, there needs to be a sustainable women's hockey league. And like I said, it's got to be similar to you know, the WNH or the WNBA and having the WNHL would it almost be assumed that'd be the name. Cause I don't think they'd want to go into the national women's hockey league. I'm not quite sure on what the name would be of that. But the point is, is that the players are taking control. 
and it's funny, we, when Alex and I had our show on Monday, we talked about this is becoming a player's game. Now, obviously, a different context. We're talking about Adam Fox and where he wants to play, whatever, yada, yada. But this is players standing up for what they believe in. This is players standing up for what they want. And this is important for the growth of women's hockey, which has made leaps and bounds over the last few years. It's no more than just the what you see at the Women's Olymp- at the Olympics every four years. The World Championships are no- newsworthy. Heck, we just watched a, the crazy... Finland U.S. final. I mean, and of course, like I said, the CWHO with its highest ratings, NWHL with its highest ratings, uh, per se. And this is a great opportunity for the le- for someone to step in and make this one league happen. In the NHL, I get it. The playoffs are going on right now. There's a lot of great hockey in their own league, but there's got to be a group of people assigned to getting this job done and getting it done soon. Because I don't know about you, but I think with the success that this league, that the two leagues had separately this past season, you cannot have it be where you don't have any hockey at all. This momentum will come to a screeching halt, and this could be, just like I said, a former player, but I'm signing with the players on this one. They have every right to do this. They have every right to sit out and say, we want a legitimate league. And I am glad that this is happening because this is what needs to happen. This is what the game needs. Players to step up and say, hey, we deserve more. And it's not like super high-paid professional athletes. These, these are girls that, these are fantastic hockey players that have, that have worked their tails off for nothing. I know, I know senior A hockey players that get paid more to play. And you say, well, isn't senior? Trust me, guys. Their players get paid in senior A. They don't. They don't promote it. They don't make it public. But it, ha- it happens. There are players in like that play Allen Cup hockey that get paid more. I'm just saying. So having this happen now, like I said, remember they weren't gonna. Do, there was gonna be no talk during the World Championships, which was good. Focus on the the play. Focus on the the tournament, which was a magnificent tournament. But now. The time has come for a big step to happen in one league for the women's hockey game. It's gonna be it's gonna be big, and whenever it gets announced, it's gonna be it's gonna be game changing because it needs to happen. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Who will be in it? Will it be the same teams? You know, I'd like to I'd like to think that all the teams that were from the CWHL having Markham, Toronto, Montreal. I'll admit Worcester would be a little tough given that there's already a team in Boston in the NWHL, but I'm sure they'd try to figure it out. There'd be there'd be some way to figure out a team out there in Wor- Worcester or maybe Hartford. Hartford? Oh, right, there's Connecticut Whalers too. Darn it. They'll, they will figure it out. But having Calgary in there, Calgary and Minnesota, given that they're the two Western teams in their respective leagues, that can be an automatic rabbit right away. Of course, you'll have Toronto and Maybe you can even add a team in there if you get enough backing by certain, maybe the NHL. Like I said, the NHL does need to get involved. You can have a lot of great business people step in here and make make considerable contributions to this league, this new possible league, but it does not happen without the NHL. And like I said, the talk is having it similar to the WNBA, and yes, I know there's criticism on how the WNBA is not as looked at the same as the National Basketball Association, but... At least they have something. 
hockey right now, for women's hockey, doesn't have much. Like I said, you have two leagues competing against each other, fighting to get ice time at local rinks, practicing once a night. And these athletes, these professional athletes, and I use the professional term loosely for these two teams because, like I said, they don't get paid a whole lot, having to work full-time and train. Folks, there's a reason why I'm sitting here. Because I came back home from Canada when I was playing senior A. No, I was not one of those guys that got paid $2,000. I was not that good of a goaltender. But when I came back, I came back because I knew I needed to work full-time. And I tried to keep the dream alive, and I tried to train while I worked full-time. And let me tell you right now, it was not easy, and that's why I'm here today, instead of playing hockey, because I I couldn't do it. And imagine these players that are trying to do it right now. And despite the fact of that, you're still having incredible hockey. Imagine how much better it could be when these players are paid like actual professional athletes. It's going to be it's going to be astronomically better. Which is crazy to say because like I said, the le- the two leagues are at their peak. They're at the highest point that they've ever been. And the fact that they could even get better if they just get one league together is going to be a huge moment. I can't wait to see what's going to happen. Now, like I said, this is not going to be an overnight sensation. It's, it may take some time. We may not hear anything until July. But as long as something happens and, an act, and something happens this year, because it needs to happen now, you cannot let this fester. Something needs to happen soon. Like I said, you're going to need considerable contributions from outside sources. Sponsorship's going to be huge. The National Hockey League will need to step in. I'm, I'm not saying a TV deal, too. A TV deal will be tough. You can, I mean, hey, ESPN Plus. As they've shown a lot of games, a lot of NHL games over this season. I mean, there's also Bleach Report Live, but I think ESP, I, the way NHL is going towards ESPN, there may be a deal for ESPN in the future once the NBC deal ends up, but we'll get to that point later. We already had that conversation one too many times. But like I said, big news, no women's hockey next year unless something happens because a lot of players aren't going to play unless something happens. Over 200 players, which, yes, you could say the NWHL could find players, but... It's going to be looked at similar to when when the NFL when they play when the players went on strike when they had the scabs when they had the replacement players come in. It may be looked at like that if the NWHL still goes through. If nothing happens, but I'm not saying, and I'm not saying that nothing's going to happen where the NWHL will still have a season without these top players, these top names. But I'll say right now, if the NWHL especially want to keep this thing going and want to keep it at the rate that it's continuing to progress, you're going to want your big names there. Listen, the first ever, now this is kind of an off-key reference here, talking about in terms of different kinds of sports, but the first ever race at Talladega, the first ever NASCAR race, was not with NASCAR drivers, was not top drivers. It was actually the, well, the, what they call the Xfinity Series now, but the Grand National Series then, because the cup drivers were too afraid of the high speeds at Talladega, whereas the, you know, the youngsters, the Grand National kids, are like, oh, we'll drive on anything. It may have been an exciting race because it was fast, but it was not the big names like Richard Pay at the time, but Danny, Donnie Allison, Bobby Allison, stuff like that. I know I lost a lot of you hockey fans there when I went to racing, but that's what I'm trying to say. It's not the same. You can still have the bigger stage, and you can still progress the stage and say, this is where we're heading, but if you do not have players like Amanda Kessel, like Hillary Knight, like Marie-Philippe Poulin, Brianna Decker, stars like that, Shannon Sabotos, players like that, you're not going to get much further. So, moving on from that, like I said, obviously big news, but we got some hockey to talk about. And I'm going to dive right into the QMJHL finals first, the President's Cup finals, because it's already started. 
Roy and Miranda and the Halifax Mooseheads going head-to-head right now. And about uh, 30 seconds left in the first period. Huskies are up 2-1 on the Mooseheads. Let's kind of take a look on how these two teams got there. First, the Huskies. I remember when I talked about it after round one, I was honestly nervous that this team was not going to go much further after the scare that Schwinnigan put into Roy and Miranda. But they did a really good job. They swept Victoriaville in round two, met a very good Rubuski team led by Alex, Alexis Lafreniere. And you know what? The Oceanic got, they I don't say they got schooled, but the Huskies were locked in. They're on a roll. They're playing really good hockey. And they made a very, very easy way the Huskies did to get to round to the, excuse me, the finals, sweeping the Oceanic in four games. And let me tell you, it really comes out with the play of Felix Bebo. He was he was big in the series. I mean, you, you can't look at him and say, I mean, he had a big game in game two. The Oceanic were actually up in game two in Roy and Miranda looking to tie the series up. But Bebo had two goals just over 90 seconds apart to help Roy and Miranda come back from behind and then win the game. I mean, he like I said, he was big in the game, big in that game, and big in the series. He scored a two. He scored two more goals in Game Four. Had six goals in the entire series. And of course, Joel Teasdale. I mean, he. There's not much you can more say about Joel Teasdale. He was another big player. He had the game-winning goals in Games One and Game Four. Had nine points in the series. And don't forget the biggest thing to look at here is how good Teasdale was. This was without Peter Abandonado. Abandonado was out with mono in the series, missed the four games. And the Huskies obviously were just fine. And and then Abandonado is still out for game one. But having the players around him that to step up and not allow the fact that their leading playmaker, their leading scorer as well, out of the lineup affect them. Like I said, you have Teasdale. You have Noah Dobson still chipping in from the back end. And like I said, Felix Bebo had an incredible series. And you still have guys like William Sierra and Louis-Philippe Cote, who has had big moments as well. Raphael Harvey-Pinard, another big guy. And of course, Samuel Harvey and Nett. Harvey, the, I, you know, I keep saying it over and over again, but he's still, he's just so calm and cool and collected. He gave up nine goals in the series in the four games, so a little over two goals a game. But... He had 31 and 30 save performances in games one and two and has just been so consistent. Even that Schwinnigan series, he still leads all playoff goaltenders in goals against average and save percentage. He has a 1.67 goals against, a .928 save percentage. And, of course, that, that was before this before game one, which at the end of one is still 2-1, in favor of the Huskies. So the Huskies just look confident. They're finally... they. They weren't really tested all season. You know, the, like I said, the drop-off in the QMJHL from the bot, from the top half to the bottom half is kind of deep at times, especially this year where Gatineau was, I think, seventh in the East and finished how many points above Schoenigan? I mean, it was something ridiculous. So I like to think that the Huskies are playing their best hockey right now. Better than they played all season, even though they finished with the most points among any CHL team. They are playing their game at the top of the at the top level, and even without their top guy Peter Abandonado, they are still a force to be reckoned with. 
The Halifax Mooseheads, I'm going to say this right now, because you've seen it before. The host of the Memorial Cup team doesn't always make it that far. Last year with Regina, they got knocked out by Swift Current. I mean, you've, you've seen teams get knocked out. Saskatoon a few years back, I remember that. Another team that got knocked out early. We've seen teams that you know are in the Memorial Cup that haven't even made the playoffs and go on, so on and so forth. But the thing with Halifax was, after that seven-game series against Quebec, I wasn't sure that they were going to be able to put it together for a deep playoff run. I, yes, Quebec played a real spirited series. They really gave it their all. They gave it the Mooseheads everything they had. But I think that little bit of scare and maybe that little bit of, you know, that little bit of we almost just got upset, put in the Mooseheads' brains, I think that lit a fire under them because they had an exceptional series against Montreal. They swept them. And then they went up against Drummondville, the second best team in the QMJHL in the semifinal. And Drummondville, by the way, of course, had the home ice advantage. But Drummondville comes out with a game one win. Halifax then in double overtime in game two coming right at the win, eliminating home ice advantage, which was huge for Halifax in the series. Then they won both next two games at home, Scotiabank Center. And then Drummondville won game five at home, handedly, by the way, 6-2. But then they went back to Halifax for game six with a chance to clinch and knowing the fact that you have to go back to Drummondville for Game 7, that does put even the team that is technically the underdog, that kind of gives them the kick that they need. They know if you go back to Drummondville for Game 7, it's going to be a much tougher battle than winning at home. And then Xavier Perron, early in overtime, sends Halifax to the finals with the goal, and the crowd goes nuts at Scotiabank Center. And the Mooseheads, for the first time since they won it back in 2013, are heading to the Memorial Cup. Now, Raphael Lavoie, I'm not saying was the best Moosehead player, but I'm saying he was the best Moosehead once again in this series. He scored seven points in the series, leading the team, and he had three goals. He had a hat-trick and an assist in, on the tying goal in Game 2, and that come-from-behind victory against Drummondville in Game 2. He leads, he coming into the... Finals, he led all QMJHL scores, and then Joel Teasdale got a pair of points in the first period, so that tied it up. But 27 points in 17 games, not too bad. And Alexis Gravel, holy cow. I mean, he was going up against a very talented, and by very talented, I mean superbly talented, Drummondville team. And by that, I mean he was... he Drummondville, don't forget, led the league in scoring, goals for a team amongst the entire team. That's how good they were. And Gravel, who did not look impressive against Quebec, who looked pretty good against Victoriaville, stole the show on a couple of occasions. He made at least 33 saves in all six games. He is looking fine. He's looking confident. First period, of course, like I said, it's an outlier. It's the first period of the finals. A little bit of jitters for everyone, kind of trying to feel each other out. Because don't forget, these two teams only played each other once this season because they were in the East and West Conference. Ryan Randall, or excuse me, they played twice, pardon me. And Ryan Randall won both games, including an 8-4 barn burner back on March the 2nd. So, obviously not necessarily recent, and at this point, the teams are different from when they were in the regular season. And I and I know that the teams, both teams know that, and they understand that. But you got to look at 
the moose heads and how consistent can they be? I mean, the Huskies have shown that they can play tough game in and game out and play talented hockey as well. But the Mooseheads of times, like I said, game five, when they got kind of blown out in Drummondville, they had issues against Quebec. Like I said, Moncton being the outlier of their playoff run thus far, where they, even though the Wildcats gave them a real tough go, they were able to get out in four games. And thank goodness that series has gone any longer. I think Halifax would have a much tired, much more fatigued team coming out of that second round. But Halifax for me just doesn't show the same consistency as the Huskies do. I like the Huskies game because it's, like I said, high scoring. They have good goaltending in the back end. They have much more capable defensemen ever since they picked up Noah Dobson. It's a much more confident team, I'd say, the Mooseheads are. And don't forget, Huskies are glad that the Mooseheads were able to come away with the series because now, no matter what happens, both teams are in the Memorial Cup. Because Halifax, of course, even if they lose, they're in the Memorial Cup. But if they win, the runner-up, i.e. Roy and Miranda, gets an automatic bid. The last time... This actually happened when the host team won their league championship, so the runner-up got in. It was 2008 when the Kitchener Rangers defeated the Belleville Bulls in the Robertson Cup Final, and then the Kitchener Rangers eventually ended up losing to the Spokane Chiefs in, in, the, in the Memorial Cup Final. So it's happened before. It'll happen again. But like I said, both teams are going to be able to get in. In terms of how this series is going to shape up, like I said, Abandonado out tonight. Who knows when he'll come back. Mono is not an easy illness to get over. Coming from someone who's had a, and I say minor bout with Mono. How do you get a minor bout with Mono? Well, you're out for only a week and a half. But I really like to see how important it's going to be. Like I said, it's going to be Harvey versus Gravel. And Gravel, he's a really good goaltender, Gravel is. I, Gravel, I like him. He can play big games. But here's the problem. Harvey's done it for longer periods of time throughout the season. I'll, Harvey is such a good, and he's so consistent too, so calm, so mild-mannered. He shows that he's a number one goaltender. Night in and night out. So that said, Lavoie cannot be the only guy scoring for the Mooseheads. You're going to need Maxim Trapagne. You're going to need Antoine Morin. And you're going to need Samuel S. Ellen. They're going to need those four guys with Lavoie Stepping up. Jared McIsaac, another guy. He's going to have to step up from the back end as well. Didn't put up a whole lot of points in that series against Drummondville, but still consistently on a good defensive path. They're going to have to do that, but for some reason, I just don't think the Mooseheads will be able to do it throughout the entire series. So that's why I think the Huskies are going to take the President's Cup in six games. Moving over to the central part of Canada. Well, eastern central, actually, because it's, the Ontario, it's in Ontario. But the Ontario Hockey League, the J. Ross Robertson Cup Final. I always want to say the J.R. Robertson Cup Final, but it's J. Ross, because wrestling fans, yeah, okay, you get it. But this is going to be a fun series to watch. You first have the Ottawa 67s, the best team in the Ontario Hockey League by far. They finished a whopping seven points. Well, Whopping seven points, but in terms of how good London was this year, seven points is a lot. Finished with the only team that finished with over 100 points during the regular season, and they have been on a tear in this postseason. Guys, they haven't lost. They walked through Hamilton. They walked past Sudbury, and I thought that was going to be a series for the Wolves. And then I did not give them. The, I did not think they were going to lose when they went up against Oshawa. 
I just didn't think Oshawa had enough power, but I thought Oshawa was going to make it a competitive series. You know, they came off beating Niagara, really humbled that franchise down. Of course, that franchise is going to be in shambles because of their, with all their allegations, or excuse me, their the fine and the suspensions they're going to have of draft picks and all that. But man, did the 67s make them look bad. I really didn't think that the 67s were making it look so easy. It, it just looked, they looked calm. The, the 6-7s didn't look like they had any pressure against them. And don't forget, this is the first time since 2005 that the 6-7s are in the finals. It's not like this is old hat for them. It's not like they're the Knights or, you know, Windsor, or like I said, even Oshawa. Just, you know, calm and calm and, hey, this is another series. We're going to the finals, blah, blah, blah. No, this is a team that's struggling to get to this point. Even when they had Peter Mrazek. I mean, that was the closest that team ever came to that point. But it was big. They won game one, six, four, and a barn, crazy barn burner. Then they won games two and three by an eight-goal margin. And the Generals put up a good, put up a really, a really good effort in game four to try to stay alive. But Ty Fellhaber, Ty Fellhaber coming in clutch again for the 67. Some of you heard it before. In overtime, to eliminate the Generals, and now Ottawa is in this spot. And Fellhaber in the entire series was big. He had a pair of points in each of the four games. So, yes, eight points for you that are doing math. And two goals in games three and four. Sasha Shemilevsky was big as well. Eight points in the series. He had four points in game two and assisted on both of Fellhaber's goals in game four. As though that line just continues to click. And Marco Rossi, despite getting... Sucker punch and knocked out in game three by Anthony Salicini of Oshawa. He was having a great series. I mean, I don't. let's see how his health is going to be. He had four goals and four assists in the first three games. Let's hope he's okay. I know Ottawa is. And Mikey DiPietro. I feel like it's the same thing with Samuel Harvey. It's just, there he is. He's still playing well. It's pro- Like I said, it's probably going to be his last season in the OHL. You know he's going to want to go on top again. Wants to do what he did again with Windsor. He gave up seven goals in the first two games of the series. However, he stopped 49 of the next 51 shots he faced. And he leads all goaltenders and goals against average 2.26 goals against average. He's just looking calm. He's looking collected. I just, he's just looking so good. He just looks, and like, same thing with Harvey. Not a challenging series, but now I think this is probably going to be the toughest test as they take on the Guelph Storm, who, by the way, the Guelph Storm are still here. The Guelph Storm guys are still they're still in they're still in the playoffs. They were now yes, now I know they whipped Kitchener, but they were they finished 18 points ahead of the Rangers. Made that series look easy. But then they go down 3-0 to the London Knights. And you know the London Knights were so good and it's all over just count it off. The Knights are going on. They're gonna and they're gonna they're gonna smoke the Saginaw spirit, even though Saginaw had a good team. But then no, the storm come back and they win game four. They win game five, win game six, win game seven. And they go up against Saginaw. Okay, well Saginaw's got a good team. They got Ivan Provostov, who's played really well. Oh my gosh, he batted the puck into the crowd. Now, yes, and that's not me saying, folks, that the storm only won because Provostov was out. But Okay, this is going to be a quick tangent here. That's the dumbest rule in the history of hockey. 
getting suspended because you intentionally bat the puck into the crowd. Remember when Owen Tippett got suspended for flipping a foam puck into the crowd? Guys, the OHL, I mean, I get it. You want to have fan safety and all that, but it's not like he intentionally tried to hit somebody and took a clapper into the 10th row. Provotov was mad because he felt like he'd been hit a couple times. It was a frustrating shift. It happens. Henrik Lundqvist, remember he pushed it off a couple years ago against Pittsburgh? Nothing really came. I mean, he got fined, I think it was, for that. But come on. Batting the puck in the crowd, that's kind of dumb. Bad call by the officials. Shame on them. But they were up 3-1 without him. They were up 3-1 in the series. They had a chance to close out in Game 5. But then Guelph wins Game 5. Game 6. And they win Game 7. The Guelph Storm have no quit. Zero quit. And I have written this team off because I thought despite all the acquisitions they made at the deadline, getting... Sean Dursey, getting Nick Suzuki, Mackenzie Entwistle, Fedor Gordiev. Yes, they need Fedor Gordiev. But how, just how consistently resilient they have been in these playoffs has made them a force to be reckoned with. And by far, more than the Generals, more than the Wolves, definitely more than the Bulldogs. This is by far the toughest team the 67s will play here in the finals. Now, yes, that is cliche to say that this is this is how it is. You have the two best teams in the league in the finals. Well, yes, but as I've always, as always, it's always been said before, not always the best team makes it to the finals. Whether it's the, the NHL, the AHL, OHL, WHL, QMJL, you get the point. But this team has worked their butt off, and you know what, Nick Suzuki. And I'm not going to say that he was not good during the first two rounds. But he wasn't a huge factor. And to be fair, with how good the Storm were around him, he wasn't really, he didn't really have to be the number one guy. Yes, he is a great, he can be a game changer and he has an amazing amount of talent. There's a reason why he's going to be a Montreal Canadian next year. It's because of how good he is. But I did not think... He was having the best playoffs. And like I said, you have the depth scoring around you. It's easy to kind of get overlooked sometimes. But this series was show, showing people and renewed the idea that Suzuki is a big-time player. I mean, he was big. He had 11 points in the series, had a four-assist outing in Game 5, had a, had, a pretty, per, had a pretty goal there in Game 6. I mean... He's just gotten, he just gets better and better and better. And now he's going to have the biggest stage trying to get to the Memorial Cup, something he's never done. Never had the opportunity to own sound. I don't know if his brother Ryan Suzuki will either, but nonetheless, I really think Nick Suzuki had a really good coming out party and he's going to have to keep that going here in the finals. Isaac Ratcliffe was another big, had another big series, had three multi-point games in the series, had eight points total against the Spirit. Dmitry Samarukov. Big-time produced from the blue line. Ten points in the series. Hey, Edmonton, you got a defenseman. You may want to hold on to him, eh? I mean, you know, he's probably... I'm not sure he's saying as good as Darnell Nurse or Adam Larson, but... that's Yes, that is a shot at Edmonton fans, folks. Just, just let... Or Edmonton, not Edmonton fans, Edmonton management. But neither here nor there. But... Sam Rukov had a really big game, too, in Game 5. Had three goals and assists and a plus-three rating. So having the depth, not just from the front, but the back end as well. I mean, Anthony Popovich, 
he looked, I mean, Antipopovich played really well despite the first few games in the series. It's it's weird to say Popovich. It's it's weird to say this, especially coming from a former goaltender. He looked good when he won, wasn't so good when he lost. Does that kind of make sense? I mean, when you win, obviously you look good, but you know some games you can win six five and not play your best. But he looked really good and really confident in those four wins, especially in games five, six, and seven. However, their losses though, he just you, know, you kind of get down, and sometimes the game gets out of your hand, and your confidence kind of diminishes a little bit. So. That said, I think Popovich will he'll he'll have to step up because he's going up against Mikey DiPietro. And I put the quote in when I wrote my Puck 77 article preview in this series, but it's like when Gorilla Monsoon looked at when he before the WrestleMania 3 main event between Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, Pontiac Silverdome, 93,173, which is an abbreviated number, according to Dave Meltzer. He said, quote, the ir- excuse me, the irresistible force meeting the immovable object. The immovable object, in this case being the 67s, a team that has had that has been at the number one spot since the get-go, even when they got Mikey DiPietro from Windsor early in the season, they were still tops in the East, and they have had no problems during these playoffs, 12-0, not a single doubt of how good this team is, and haven't had issues. And the irresistible force is the Guelph Storm, a team that will not give up, they are going to come out victorious, so help them, God. They are going to do everything they can. They will not give up. They will win, and by goodness, if they don't, they're going to go down trying. They're going to go down swinging. It's going to be the tightest series in terms of how each game is played. The battle of the offense is what's going to have to be because you're going to have the high-talented offense at Guelph built and, of course, the efficient scorers for the 67s. That's going to be the big matchup. Because I just think Mikey D. Pietro is just so much more consistent and much better than Anthony Popovich. Sorry, Guelph fans. It is going to be a very tight game. Now, like I said, Ottawa has such a, had an easy run. Can Guelph even get a win? I say yes. I say Guelph does get a win. Ottawa does not go to the Memorial Cup even. They don't do it. I just don't think so. I, I, I love to think that Guelph can make it a real tight series, a longer series. But man, I just, they're, Ottawa is just too good. They're just too good right now. Guelph gets one win, but that's it. 67s go to the Memorial Cup, and they will win in five games. Moving over to Western Canada for the Ed Chinoweth Cup finals between the two best teams. In the WHL. That is not just saying because they're in the finals. It is because it is the best team in the East against the best team in the West. Now, yes, Tyler, you just said that the not always the best team wins the championship. Well, guess what? In the WHL, it's going to be that. One of the best teams is going to do it. Well, look, first look at the Vancouver Giants. Vancouver Giants, who, let's be honest, kind of had a little bit of a scare with the Thunderbirds in that first round. They were able to kind of re-corral, and they played a very... Played a, you know what? A Victoria team that, despite Vancouver really giving it to them, they deserve to be there. But I just think the Vancouver Vancouver is just... This, it's, this is their year. This is one of those years where they're just going to play exceptionally well and dominate games. That's just how it is. That's how it's been. Then they played Spokane, who I thought, just after, especially after Spokane beat Everett in the second round, 
I thought Spokane was going to give Vancouver all the hassle in the world. But then that didn't happen because Vancouver won games one and two easily at home. They go to Spokane. Each team gets a win in overtime. And then game five, no big deal. Vancouver gets the job done. Make it to the finals for the first time since 2007. This is actually going to be their third appearance. And Bowen Byram, once again, I keep saying it, he's, his stock is growing. It's getting better. He is most well, certainly, he's, if he's not a top 10 pick in this draft, I don't know what, what he has to do to do that. I mean, does he have to make a video? Uh, just make, show a highlight reel of these playoffs, of how clutch the guy has been for the Giants. He leads the playoffs in scoring. He lead No, guys, listen. I just said leads the playoffs in scoring. Not just Vancouver. Not just the Western Conference. He leads all WHL players in scoring with 18 points. Yes, I know the Quebec League's got more scoring, but that's that's how it's been for forever. Don't forget, guys, Anthony Mantha was the leading scorer in the QMJHL and played in Grand Rapids for three years. But back to this. Bowen Byram has 18 points. He had three goals and two again, two assists in the series, playing a point-of-game player from the blue line. He is going to be a force to be reckoned with. Whenever he gets up to the show, if he can keep developing like the way he is, it is going to be big. He's going to be a big-time player. He's got the talent. He's very solid in his own end. He's got offensive ability up the front. He's a complete defenseman. He's exactly what the league wants right now. Any team in the league wants right now. Dawson Holt had a really good series for Vancouver as well. I mean, the kid only had 19 points during the regular season and seven in the first two rounds. So you know what? Not doing too crazy. But then all of a sudden, the Saskatoon native gets five points against Spokane out of the blue. And he had a goal and assist in both games one and game two. So... I mean, that's just, I mean, and that's just one of those performances. You always talk about those depth players that just get that one great series or one big moment that really turns a series around, helps a team out, even though he's not looked at as the big-time player, the big-time scorer. But here he is in the big spot, conference final, trying to get to the Edge North Cup final and coming up big. Now, whether or not he does it again, that's going to be the hard part. I mean, now, obviously, if you're the opposing team, you're going to see how good this guy is. You're going to try to cover him a little bit more. But, hey... You got you did your job, and now you can obviously you have he's got the confidence, and that's going to be huge. And I think the biggest story for Vancouver coming out of the conference finals is finally they played one goaltender the entire series. Trent Miner and David Tendek had been split in time in the first two rounds, but David Tendek was given the call by Coach Michael Dyke, and I I think it's a good call. Tendek is the veteran, and I don't say Ty goes the veteran either because in some games Miner was playing better, but you know what he went with Tendek and it worked. He allowed no more than three goals in any of the five games, made at least 24 saves in four of the five. I think game two, he only had 22 shots against him, didn't have a whole lot of work. But nonetheless, he played really well, had a 35% performance in the game three overtime loss, but had a save percentage in the entire series of 935. I think having that, especially as a veteran, and who knows if Tendek will come back next year as an overager. I don't think Vancouver's going to want to bring him back. But having this, like, like I said, usually your swan song, your last go-around, you're in the finals, you have an opportunity to make something. Kudos to David Tendek. He had played, played really well against the Chiefs. Looking over the team from the east side of the league. Can't say east side because they're in central Canada. Prince Albert Raiders. Shocker, they are here in the finals. I'm pretty sure people could have predicted this in October. But, like I said, this was a team that was going to be the, one of the best records in CHL history, but then after the World, the World Junior layoff, 
and when they lost Leeson and Ian Scott to Team Canada, the team kind of slipped up a little bit. Leeson really couldn't find his game for the longest time. They kind of fell down the stretch. So, nonetheless, the Raiders still finished first in the East, still finishes the best team in the regular season. And despite losing, and you know what? It's funny, having that series against Saskatoon, I think, for Prince Albert, after having such an easy series against Moose Jaw, I think that helped. You know, for, like I said, Raiders, like I don't think they had any adversity in that second half of the season during the regular season because you didn't have a lot to play for. You didn't have to worry about falling out of the playoffs. You had first place pretty much locked up from November. So they weren't playing too nervous, and Moose Jaw was an easy ride, but then they go up against Kirby Doc in the Blades, and they tie it up 2-2, and it's like, oh, okay, this is this is interesting. We haven't been in this spot before. They bunkered down and got the final games 5-6 and six and moved on. Then they play the Oil Kings, who, by the way, is, was the best team in the Central Division. There's no joke there. Of course, Edmonton had an issue with Medicine Hat in the first round, but then they swept Calgary, and they were a well-rested team going into the series. And the Oil Kings were up 2-1 in the series. Oil, Despite Prince Albert winning Game 1, Oil Kings win Game 2 in overtime, and then they win Game 3, the first Game 3 at home, and now Prince Albert's down 2-1, and my goodness, is Edmonton going to pull off the upset of upsets? This would have been the biggest upset of the playoffs. Bigger than Everett losing to Spokane, by far. But Prince Albert, the talent in that room, the veteran leadership in that room, in that locker room, calms the team down. Everyone settles down, and they win the rest of the way. They win three straight, and they make it to the first more first WHL championship series since 1985. This is their only their second series ever in the finals. And they won the championship back in 85 and the Memorial Cup as well. This is a franchise that's been longing for a team like this. Similar to a lot. There's and I get it. You know what? There's a lot of teams in all three leagues that have been around for a very long time and have not had a whole lot of success. Prince Albert being one of them. And this team has been blessed with a great year for Brett Leeson, an incredible performance by Ian Scott, and all up and down the lineup, it's going to be big. And Noah Gregor as well. And you know what? Noah Gregor and Brett Leeson weren't really big factors in the series against Edmonton. They only Each of them only had four points, so big players had to step up. And you know what? One of the guys, and I'll be late in the series, was Alexei Protest, the rookie and he only had a point in game one, but then in games five and six, maybe the full moon was out. He had a good night, had a good dinner or something, good rest, because he was incredible. He only had eight points in the series. Scratch that. He actually had, he wasn't even on the score sheet in the first four games of the series. But in games five and six, he had a hat trick in both games, which is pretty good considering he only had 11 goals during the regular season. And Ian Scott, despite Edmonton gave him a real good run for their money against the Raiders. Ian Scott played such a confident game, and I know I've been saying it throughout, the, with, like I said, Samuel Harvey, Mikey DiPietro, Ian Scott, ironically, all three of the best goaltenders in their respective leagues, playing confident, playing calm, playing like they've been there before, despite the fact that Ian Scott hasn't been there. Don't forget, Mikey DiPietro's been there before. Samuel Harvey knows what it's like to win. Ian Scott, despite, the, like I said, Prince Albert making it last year, He's been only getting better since he got drafted by the Leafs. Let's just put that out there. But he was big. 
The Raiders were outshot in four of the six games by the Oil Kings, and Scott only gave up seven goals, including shutouts in games one and game five. That is huge. To have a goaltender that when your exceptional, talented team in front of them is not playing well, that they can rely on them. I call it the Kenny Dryden effect. The 70s Habs were dominant all the time, but if they ever slipped up, there was big number 29 in net. In a pose. But then he got down in his stance and made the save. But he didn't make the save while standing up like that. Okay, for all those people that don't know what I'm talking about, Kenny Dryden, he used to stand up for the Montreal Canadiens with his gloves on top of his stick and kind of just sit there while the play was going on. And then when the play came down, he'd grab his stick and he'd get back into position. If that if people, if a goaltender did that nowadays, people look at it as like showboating, but that's just how Kenny Dryden stayed focused. Hey, the man's a lawyer, okay? He knows a thing or two. Went to Cornell. He's a smart man. Got a good book, too. I'm going to read that in the summer as well. It's called The Game. It's a very short book. I actually started reading it. Quick side note here. I started reading it a couple of years ago, but it was while I was playing, and it just felt like and Kenny Dryden talked about whether or not he even wanted to play, and it kind of depressed me, so I stopped reading it. But I'm going to pick that up here again this year. Back to the series, sorry. Sorry for my ADD getting a little ahead of me there. Vancouver and Prince Albert. Going head-to-head. And once again, this is going to be to see who the best team is in the WHL. And the the funny part is is that both these teams have struggled at some points during the regular se- or during these playoffs. Like I said, Vancouver against Seattle, Prince Albert against both Saskatoon and Edmonton. But it's I think it's always in a playoff series you always have to look at the goaltending first. Tendek against Ian Scott. Ian Scott, despite not being as good as Dustin Wolf, has been an incredible goaltender from game one on that incredible start in the season this postseason he's been he's been exceptional he is playing confident there is nothing more dangerous than a confident goaltender and then you have David Tendek who has been splitting time in the first two rounds gets the okay to be the number one guy and plays well when he does so he's playing confident as well pay on paper yes you give Scott the advantage but it's going to be the teams in front of them, too. You're going to have to have the Raiders gun step up. You're going to have to have Leeson and Gregor. They're going to have to play much better. Dante Hanun, he's going to have to play great as well. Sean Montgomery is going to have to step up his game. And you know what? I'm not... It's funny. I don't look at... Van, I, I'm more worried about Vancouver's... Pardon me, Prince Albert's top guns. I would do Vancouver's. Because like I said, Brett Leeson, since he came back, he had a, he had a good second round against Saskatoon. But he was not the same world leader that Brett Leeson was in the first half of the season before he went to Team Canada. He's not been that same guy. No Gregor picked up the slack, but Gregor didn't have a great series against Edmonton. He's going to have to play a lot better as well. It is going to be a tight series, but it's going to come down to the goaltending. Ian Scott's going to be there. He's going to play well, and it will be the longest series of the three because I'm giving Prince Albert the Edge Noah Cup. In a seven-game classic. It is going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to all three of these series. Like I said, I really think that Roy and Aranda is a better team than Halifax. Like I said, both of them are just playing for bragging rights really out, out in Quebec because, or excuse me, in the QMJHL because Halifax is in Nova Scotia. But I think Halifax, not the fact that they have to win, with, with the fact that they do not have to win, excuse me, Makes it a little bit easier on them. But the fact that they made it this far, they're going to be fresh coming in. It's going to be good. I like to see how 
running around the place, but I think the Huskies will win that series in a tight series, only go six games. I think Guelph will give Ottawa a really good run for their money. But like I said, 67s have not lost all these playoffs, so you got to give them that. And Mikey DiPierre is playing top of his game. That's why I picked them in five. And this series is just going to go long because I think Tendek's going to save a, steal a couple games for Vancouver, but then I just think Ian Scott's just going to play a little bit better, and that's what's going to be in that's what's going to do in the Giants and send Prince Albert to their third Memorial Cup. So it's going to be exciting, and just for everyone's wondering, it's going to be a much more elaborate Memorial Cup preview. I think remember we did one last year when we were doing, doing the old YouTube channel, the Kuehl Show, and. Uh, the very awkward video that we did with Alex. It'll just be me, though, this year. I may try to bring someone on um, because I'm really excited to see how how all four teams will match up. So, like I said, pretty much my picks right now for the Memorial Cup are, well, Halifax, duh, they're the host. Randa Randa, duh, because they're going to be either the runner-up or the winner. And then Ottawa and Prince Albert. So, literally, the best team in all three leagues are going to be there, along with Halifax, who finished third in the QMJHL. So, not too shabby. And like I said, even if even if Vancouver wins, they're the second best team in the WHL. Now, yes, Guelph is the outlier here because they finished fourth in the Western Conference in the OHL. But I, I like to think that this is going to be the year of the top dogs. And yes, I know what I said earlier, that the best team doesn't always win. But I think this is the year that the best team will win. Now, I don't know who my pick is going to be for the Royal Cup because that is due for a later date. But it has been another fun exciting episode for me at least we had obviously we didn't just talk about the chl we had some news to talk about as well but another great couple weeks maybe well we'll see how long they go ottawa may be only a week for all we know but hopefully a couple more weeks of championship hockey determine who moves on to the memorial cup and who's punching those tickets to halifax because the scotia bank center is going to be rocking especially when the mooseheads are playing and especially when the best teams in the chl arrive for the for junior hockey's greatest championship i'm excited i know you guys are excited thanking you once again folks for joining me on this another lovely special episode of the kill podcast be sure to use the hashtag the kill podcast to talk about this one and tweet us at the kill podcast on who you think is going to make it to the memorial cup i'm tyler kill thanking you once again folks for listening to another episode of the kill podcast we'll see you guys next week <laughs>